we went to a Hollywood Fringe Festival. You know about mm-hmm. that in LA? Very like indie, like indie theater. Like literally, we saw a play that was in a room. Is what it was. Uh, like really, an intense experience. Here, we we're, we're, were watching kind of a adaptation of a Russian play, uh, The Seagull. Um, mm-hmm. And it's an intense. It's an intense experience seeing one do it like a Russian doing Chekhov right in front of your face. Like literally, like right. I had to move my feet to make sure the actors didn't trip over me was the thing. Um, and we also went to, um, we went to six recently as well. Uh, which was, oh, a, yeah. which was an entertaining ex- experience. Uh, a lot of people love to sing those songs in the audience. Yeah. Yeah. I think that is a, that is a pandemic right now with all the like pop cover musicals yeah. is I know they had a, uh, a couple months back. They had to like, they ended up having like a riot at an a play a, a staging of the bodyguard in Ireland. Wow! Because like so many people were singing and they like stopped the play and were like stop singing and then it, it turned into this like mass fight and uh, the cops had to show up and they like labeled it a, a riot because there were so many people who ended up having to be arrested afterwards. Oh my god, that's insane! I didn't hear about that. What? I'm just like what? What? Sh-? I'm trying the other. Shows. That's a tough one too. Like not, you know, not everyone in the crowd needs to be singing. I can always love you. No, it's I, not- I, I will always live forever. It's it's like that. That's like um yeah. Like I I remember like seeing um seeing like a a, a TikTok clip of like someone at like the Arrows tour for Taylor Swift, just like not singing but like yelling lyrics to a song, mm-hmm. and they're like, why did I pay money for this? Because like they're <laughs> drowning out Taylor's actual vocals. But yeah. It's like I will always love you is not like you said is not the song that a regular singer can sing, especially mm-hmm. the way Whitney Houston sings it is the thing. And yeah, I would, I would, I might riot, I might cause a riot if that was good. But yeah, I, I heard from several people that went to six. They're just like, yeah, it was really good, but I had these people behind me just like yelling the lyrics the entire time. Um, mm-hmm. And speaking of speaking of, I don't know, this is this is a weird tangent, but speaking of of live entertainment, I just saw on my tiktok that the medieval times in la is like on strike and they've been on strike for oh, like yeah, four, yeah, yeah. four months <clears throat> did not know this um have you ever been to medieval, medieval times i went fairly recently actually for oh, a friend's really? birthday <laughs> yeah. how was it it was fun you know we took a took a big group of friends and um uh, sat in the front row and and cheered loud and you know just just decided to buy into it completely it was a sunday night so mm-hmm. there was not that many people there, um, but we just were like, you know what? We're going all in. We're we're gonna we're gonna commit. And um, they ended up our our guy like won. I mean, we were like booing everybody else, and like we got into this whole thing where like we were calling one of the guys a cheater, and he kept <laughs> coming over and like 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 mouthing off to us specifically. Yeah. And, and um, in the end, we kind of went out and they they let you. I had gone as a kid. I had no idea at the end you kind of go back out and there's a bar in the lobby and yeah. you like keep drinking and uh, all the knights come out and like you can meet with them. And, and our guy like came up <laughs> to us and he was like, he was like, listen, thanks, guys. Like they I, I didn't know this. I'm, I'm throwing out secrets of medieval times right now. <laughs> but he was like, they they don't. They they read the crowd in the first couple of rounds to decide who's going to be the winner that oh. night, and he was like, "You guys were you guys were like so much better than anybody else that they that I got to be the the winner tonight." So yeah. thank you, and we we're like, "Oh hell yeah!" I think my team. My, well, I didn't go up a million times. I went to 
the pirate one in Anaheim right oh. next door. Yeah. That was yeah. for and and they do like a like a five like again like five different pirates that you're choosing for our and I think I think we won that one as well, the blue pirate. And because we were also oh. I think the loudest yeah. Uh, yeah. there. It's like wrestling, you know? It very much is. It very much is. Um not sure about the food. Not sure yeah, about no. the food. Um but it was a good entertaining uh, entertainment. Uh but yeah, yeah. the the medieval times, it was like I didn't know anything about this because the, if she was like it was a an actress there, she was like, Yeah, we've been on strike for four months. And uh basically uh, their their like lighting crew also basically that the medieval times like actors and performers uh unionized is what it was, and that's why this has been happening, and then apparently their lighting and like set team or whatever also unionized, and then their merchandising team is also trying to unionize, and it's like been like a a hectic ordeal down in down in Anaheim, apparently down Orange County, medieval times. Uh, we'll see if there will be other uh, <laughs> uh, uh, or, or uh, strikes of medieval times elsewhere. Um, medieval times, I always know from uh, the Cable Guy with Jim Carrey. That was where I was first introduced to medieval times. Oh. Um, see, I growing up like just south of Myrtle Beach, it was you know well, I, yeah. I went a good I went a good bit as a as a grade schooler. That was like a pretty regular field trip kind of thing did you did you have uh i don't know what it's called now but i know or if it's still exists i exist in, in gatlinburg but uh uh dixie stampede dolly Parton's we did dixie we stampede. did have a dixie stampede they actually closed that down and turned it into pirates uh oh. at some point as i was growing up yeah yeah oh it's funny this bring, brings it back to six the other big one they had in myrtle beach was they had a show called legends live in concert and it was just a lot of oh no uh of like imper like Elvis impersonators and, and yeah. like everyone you could think of, Tina Turner impersonators. And I, I told my wife recently they sent out a list of like possible shows that they could put on our like Broadway tour season, yeah. like two seasons from now. They were like, Would you be interested in seeing? And it's just all of these like mu musician biopic yes. play things. And I'm like, this is basically just legends in concert. Like yeah. you're just paying to watch some guy. They came out at the Tony's last week and did the like Neil Diamond musical. And they just, I saw I'm that. like, this is the Tony's and some guys just singing sweet Caroline. It's like <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It, the, Broadway is a very, it, it's, it's a very weird place right now. Cause it's like, it's either what it feels like for the most part, it's either like kind of pop musicals like that, where it's, taking someone's catalog and turning it into a musical which i think was a thing at one point for a bit and it kind of went out of fashion now it's kind of come back into fashion mm -hmm. um i think i'll you're get, continuing to get a like adaptations of movies that's a mm -hmm. very big thing that's still kind of happening um so you're not seeing a lot of well i won't say not a lot but and again i'm not as aware of the broadway community as other people are but i feel like most of it dominates the the talk or kind of the, the community or the circuit I, I see is a lot of the adaptations and that type stuff. Yeah. Um, and I mean, it's, it's just like, it's just like the film industry. That's what makes all the money and that's what yeah, get it all, gets all the buzz. It's, but like everything that won at the Tony Southern height were, were like original. The original stuff. Yeah, 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 exactly. It's like, but it's, it's also kind of like what kind of old show can we bring in, um, to, uh, to like have a new star to it where i was just i just saw at theater last night when we went to see spider-man across spider-verse like a promotion for hugh jackman's oklahoma yeah yeah, yeah. i saw yeah. i saw that they showed a trailer before asteroid city uh yeah. on friday for that as well but uh but yeah it's it's a uh, no yeah i'm looking at this so the one yeah i i i've heard good things about angela yet um 
Kimberly Akimbo, I haven't heard anything about actually. Um, <laughs> you know, it is an original musical. It's basically it's Jack. Not- <laughs> it's, oh. <laughs> it's it's very similar. It's about uh, it's about a, a female elementary school student who who is aging rapidly. But um, oh wow, okay. And then there's some, then there's one called shucked. That's all about corn that I really can't wrap my mind around (laughs) what is actually happening there. But, um, but you know what? More power to him. And then you have, um, New York, New York based off of Scorsese's, Mm -hmm. um, Oh, Ryan, Lim, Lim, Miranda did music for that. Interesting. It lyrics for it. I didn't know that. Um, and it's like a hot, what'd you say again about New York, New York? Uh, Colton Ryan is the lead in that. He was, uh, he was in the Dear Evan Hansen movie. He was also in a very one of. The, he was very good in uh, uh, Poker Face. Who is he in Poker he Face was, again? He was in the second episode. Um, he's the like mechanic. That oh, he the was. Guy off the he roof. was. I. I. He. Oh God, he wasn't Dear Evan Hansen. Okay. Yeah. Um. I did not know that. He. He is. He is great in Poker Face. As, as mm-hmm. that's that's actually. Um. That and the barbecue episode are my two favorite episodes, and they're right, mm. they're back to back. And I think, I think they're he's great. Um, I think the the guy that from from the mayor who's also in, yeah, episode two that I'm blanking uh, on his name. Yeah, yeah. Um, Bram Michael Hall. Uh, he yeah. he's great as well. He's great as well. Um, anyway, I'm I I'm sorry if I offend any Broadway fans for my lack of knowledge. <laughs> Um, I'm doing better. I I go to theater. That's the one big thing. I go to theater. Mm-hmm. I try my best to. Um, yeah. There's and the, I vote and I vote desperately to have shows other than the Strokes musical come to uh, Atlanta. <laughs> Atlanta. <laughs> yeah, we. I think we have the Tina Turner one coming. Either is coming or has already been here. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of it's 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 becoming a thing. Um, I have no good way to segue into our topic today uh, <laughs> based off that. So we'll just go into it. I'm Brand Sparks. And I'm Thomas Horton. And this is the Nation Podcast. And this month, we have been discussing con artist movies and kind of the con artist genre. And so, Thomas, what have we talked about this month regarding this small genre, yet very, like, really kind of vast, I mean, really kind of heavy genre in terms of just, like, how many good movies are here? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, I mean, so we've talked about the kind of the tone being a little bit lighter, being a little bit more comedic, dipping more into the idea of a caper, as we've discussed uh, kind of over and over again. This caper can can be a con movie or a heist movie, but it's it's more of the kind of screwball energy to it. Um, and we've also talked about how important point of view is in these movies and mm. the idea that to really I think to really do a good con movie, the audience has to kind of feel conned as well. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and so you have to kind of play with point of view to have some kind of trick as to like how, how it was all pulled off in the end. There's, there's usually going to be some moment where it's like, oh no, we didn't do it. And then it's like, ah, we did actually, <laughs> we didn't, <laughs> we, tried, we, yeah. it went exactly as we set it up. Um, which is something we, we, we've discussed it a little bit before, but it's, I think that's what kind of the, the oceans movies kind of exist in this space in between. And obviously oceans 12 dips more into a con movie as we said but you still get that kind of point of view shift in uh oceans 11 that kind of makes it like a con version of a heist movie um so it's like oh no we didn't do the heist and then it's like "Ah, actually we we actually did we just (laughs) 
we 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 fooled you. We fooled yep. you. Um, yeah, there is. Like I said there is this kind of lighter tone. There is the kind of perspective. Um, the one thing, the one thing this time again with con, with a con man con artist series, it all comes from confidence is the thing. And when watching today's movie, The Sting, I was kind of thinking, oh, like this is it's interesting because like this feels like it would be easier to do than a heist movie sometimes because heist mm. movies they always try to like how can we make the heist bigger it's like how let's let's rob fort knox during a hurricane or whatever let's do like what's the kind of premise to it but with the con artist movies it can, it can be kind of simple is the thing it can be as simple as i where it could be kind of like a heist but it could just be i want to con this person out of money it could be um in a more like in the dirty rotten scoundrels way where it's this kind of like oh, I need money to, to help with the children of my charity back home or my home country or whatever. Um, and you get money that way and you're conning kind of, of married women from the Midwest uh, that are in the south of France. Or if it's Catch Me Can, just with frauding checks and kind of conning just people that way. Or or I was watching kind of Ocean's 13 uh, after Ocean's 12. And Ocean's 13 has a little bit of the sting in it is the thing. Where it's this mm. kind of like revenge story. Oh, yeah. Uh, in terms of conning someone like mm-hmm. it's very it's very similar is the thing um, yeah it's like this guy this guy was so well liked that like all the best con men in the world are going to come together to help yeah. us get revenge for him like i think Soderbergh actually steals well i think it steals a little bit from this with with the sting is like because in the sting you have a few times where like newman shows up and does the does the nose thing to everybody and they mm-hmm. just like drop what they're doing and leave. Yep. And that's yep. the, that's the opening of oceans 13 when Brad Pitt's like about to rob a place with the, with the, the team and he gets the phone call. He's like, gotta go boys and leaves. And they're just like, wait, what? <laughs> and, and it's like said, because they're so important to him, but yeah, it's, it's, it's been a fun genre and we'll discuss more at the end of kind of what we learned about it. But yeah, it's, it's been a really kind of fun genre to kind of dive into um, this month. So, Today's movie's Thomas. Today's movie Thomas. You picked today. It. We're talking about uh, the Sting, mm-hmm. released in 1973. A quick recap for anyone who hasn't seen the Sting: uh, is follows a hot-headed young grifter who teams up with a washed-up con man to pull a revenge con on a powerful gangster who murdered their friend. Mm-hmm. Cast includes most notably Robert Redford and Paul Newman, along with Robert Shaw, Charles Durning, Harold Gould, Eileen Brennan, and Robert Earl Jones, the father of James Earl Jones. Mm. Uh, it was written by David S. Ward, directed by George Roy Hill, shot by Robert Surtees, with costumes by Edith Head, and mm. a score by Marvin Hamlish, adapted from the works of Scott Joplin. So, I mean, a, a great crew, like right out of the gate, yeah. a phenomenal crew. Yeah killer team you know Kill, yeah killer team. There, there's ta- we, we've, we've talked about how heist movies are sometimes about also about making movies but i think this this one's definitely uh definitely got that kind of energy to it yeah no i agree i agree <clears throat> maybe that's why people are so good at making con movies because you know yeah they've already made a con yeah uh, so what what are, what's your history with with this thing i don't have a big history with this thing i think this is i think this movie if i'm not mistaken I bought from a cl- a blockbuster that was closing down in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. If I'm not mistaken, mistaken. 
Um, and I think I came to it a little bit later. And I haven't, I think so it was probably college. Um, I haven't revisited the movie since then. And it was one I, I thought was fun. Um, and it's it's kind of in that realm of movies that I think I, I watched in college or high school that were like on my list of movies you should watch if you're interested in film. And mm-hmm. then have never like gone back and revisited it is the thing. Uh, and this is one, it was, it was kind of, I guess, not tip my hand, but it was a joy to kind of come back and rewatch it and almost kind of seeing it for the first time in a way. Um, I'm very, I, I, I've, my appreciation for Redford and Newman have, has grown since watching Sting the first time is, is the thing. Um, mm-hmm. So it's, it's fun to kind of come back and look at this, specifically of Newman and Redford in this era, like Butch Cassidy being one, but I also think of like um, Paul Newman in the 60s, which is a different beast, it feels like with, I mean, uh, I love Paris Blues, him and Sidney Poitier. Uh, I know we mm-hmm. talked about Count of Hot Tin Roof as well here, which is great. Redford is in kind of in the late sixties, coming in really, really fast and mm-hmm. hot with a lot of movies. Like he he really rises very quickly, um, and just the pairing of him and him and Newman is great. It's um, we'll talk about their ages later. I will say, <laughs> um, but we'll talk about it a lot in the in the episode as well. Oh, okay, cool, 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 okay. Um, but what's what's your history with this, with the movie Thomas? I very distinctly remember uh, the first time I saw this. I was I was very young, mm-hmm. um, and I it was a rainy Saturday, and I had just gotten back from from my upward basketball game. Did you guys have upward basketball? It, it, it wasn't called upward, but yes, it was. Yeah, yes, okay. church, church basketball. Yes, we did church have. league basketball. Church yeah, league yeah. basketball. Yes, I just gotten back from upward basketball, and my mom was out of town, and my dad was like, "Do you guys want to watch a movie?" and and he like had it in mind. He was like, I'm going to show him this thing. And honestly, I don't know how my dad got away. I'm sure he got in trouble for showing it just because my mom loves Robert Redford. So I'm sure yeah. she like wanted to be around the first time I saw this thing. Um, <clears throat> but uh, I remember watching it and just like loving it. And then not long after that, I, I, I would like, you know, grab the tape and we had it on VHS. I would mm-hmm. just rewatch it. And then they were like, okay, well now I got to show him Butch Cassidy. So that, that turned into a thing. But, um, but yeah, I don't know. I just thought it was so cool. And I was I grew up uh, playing piano. So like Joplin was yeah. was big for us. And we had the um, I actually have the piano sheet music of the score that like my mom bought when she was like, you know, when the movie came out. Yeah. Um, and she held on to it and we, we still have it. So that's that's fun. But um, it's it's always been one I, I like uh, I like going back to and kind of comparing and contrasting with with butch cassidy because i love i love both of them but i think they're 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 both have different uh strengths and weaknesses but yeah um obviously love newman and redford so so fun fun to revisit um yeah and you know when you said con movies i said we got to do this thing because as we'll see it's uh one of the most successful ones to have ever been made and it's kind of the one it's funny we're kind of starting with the the template for the genre at the end in an interesting way because, <laughs> yeah. because because I think the sting is one where I again talking about and this will come in later I think with what we learned is that a lot of these movies we've talked about are always like trying to harken back to a different time Dirty mm-hmm. Rotten Scoundrels Frank Oz said he was trying to harken back to the 1950s uh, uh, Spielberg with Catch Me Can said like I, I'm thinking back he said I, he specifically said I'm thinking back to movies like Butch Cassidy and the Sting, where these kind of these fun, like uh, kind of capers or just lighthearted fare. 
Um, Butch Cassidy, not as lighthearted as the Sting. Um, and then even with Ocean's 12, we talked about Soderbergh kind of like trying to throw it back to like a European heist movie or whatever mm-hmm. of the 60s. And and with Paper Moon, it's very much throwing it back to a time. So this is one that it it, it is a one that it also throws back to a specific time in the 30s or whatever. I mean, it's funny following up paper moon it's like and i you might say it later but like not to jump ahead but like this is released the same year as paper moon the sting mm-hmm. and they're both both con movies but both and also i think set in the same kind of period of the 1930s mm-hmm. yeah yeah depression um, but but two two different versions of what yeah. you can do is the thing it's actually well, it's great, also like like urban great depression era versus rural, and versus rural, rural great yeah. depression era yeah. it's it's a it's very interesting kind of compare and contrast uh for the for this period for this for this genre as well let's let's get into it all right so the story of the sting it really starts with 1969's butch cassie and the sundance kid as we said yeah which was what launched robert redford into superstardom and made him and newman uh, an iconic duo um if you're familiar with butch cassie you might know the story that when when redford was kind of brought up for that movie a lot of people scoffed at it because he was he was like a romance guy up until then. He had done, mm-hmm. uh, he'd done Inside Daisy Clover. This property is condemned. Yep. Mm-hmm. Barefoot in the park. Uh, I think there was actually a quote where somebody was like, "How about Robert Redford?" And they're like, "No, he's a Neil Simon guy. Like he can't do a, a cowboy movie." Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but he came in after Steve McQueen kind of famously dropped out over billing arguments. Uh, he didn't want to share top billing with Paul Newman. And he also asked to have the title changed to the Sundance kid and Butch Cassidy. Yeah. Um, it, it was funny. Cause someone mentioned, uh, messaged me when your oceans 12 recast. He's, and he was just like, why didn't you mention Steve McQueen? He was like, I he's like, I know Redford or like Newman and Redford or Newman and McQueen wouldn't have got along, but you probably, and I was like, <laughs> I was like yeah, you're right. He, he would have been good for oceans 12. Yeah. But he would have called it, Daniel Ocean. Da- Daniel and like, Ocean. And 12 other no, people. No, he, it, it, it would have been called Rusty's, Rusty's yeah. uh, uh, 12. Yeah. But anyway, bringing Ro- Redford in for yeah. Butch Cassidy obviously worked out. Uh, the movie became a huge success. It was the top grossing film of, of 1969. Um, number one at the yeah. box office that year. So not long after, in 1971, writer David Ward starts working on his first screenplay, which would eventually become the movie Steel Yard Blues with Jane Fonda, Donald Sutherland, and Peter Boyle. Mm. Have you ever seen that one? I have not. I haven't either. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, se- it seems like well, 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 they were they were developing uh, this one as that one was being made, and it, I feel like they might have focused some of their energies onto this one. Yeah, let's see. Uh, so while he was working on the script for Steel Yard Blues, Ward starts researching the art of pickpocketing for a scene in the film. It's like mm-hmm. somebody has to pickpocket. He starts doing research and he just becomes fascinated with grifters and con men. He said he just read like dozens and dozens of books on cons and grifts and uh, mm-hmm. the history of cons. So he's sitting in a development meeting with uh, Steel Yard Blues producer Tony Bill, who was an actor who had recently started dabbling in producing. He only had one credit producing at that point and that was the uh, alan arkin road comedy deadhead miles which was uh written by terrence malick oh wow interestingly enough uh so bill is kind of he's picked up steel yard blues this it's going to be his like big script because deadhead miles was done on very low budget mm-hmm. um so he's meeting with Ward to talk about Steelyard Blues and Ward's just kind of like in conversation like, yeah, I'm thinking I think I have my next script already. I've been reading about 
con men. I came up with this idea for like this group of con men coming together to pull off like a revenge job during the Great Depression. And Tony Bill was like, I love that. I'll buy it right now, just based off of the outline. And he said, you write it, we'll take it and you can direct it when it's ready. So huh. he and his uh, his producing partners, which were husband and wife team, Michael and Julia Phillips, uh, signed the deal, bought the outline and set Ward out working on the script for that one. So Ward finishes the script for The Sting in 1972 as Steelyard Blues is in production and Bill immediately reads it and says, this is the best script I've ever seen. He shops it around and he gets a deal at Universal and they get hold of the script and they say, we're going to pass this to Robert Redford and Ward and Bill both kind of go, what? (laughs) Because the main character hooker is 19 years old in the script. Oh no. (laughs) Oh man. Okay. Redford was 39 at this point. I know. I know. I looked it up. I looked it up. Yeah. And so they came back and they were like, Hey, listen, we're really honored that you guys would pass this off to Robert Redford, but we were kind of thinking of someone a little bit younger. And they said, Okay, okay, you know what? You're right, we'll go a little bit younger. Let's offer it to Jack Nicholson. Jack Nicholson was thirty eight. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A year younger. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Uh, <laughs> so Nicholson turned it down, and so the studio said, Well, Jack Nicholson doesn't want to do it. Guess we're going back to Robert Redford. Mm-hmm. And so Ward and Bill are still both kind of like Okay, we're going to have to figure something out about this. Um, So they agreed. They said, you know what? We're not going to turn down Robert Redford. Uh, Let's let's try it. And so Redford reads the script. He says he's in, but he says, I've only got one thing. I think this is a really complicated script. And I don't know that a first time director is going to be able to pull it off. Mm. And it's a a fair point. It's a fair point. yeah, Yeah. And Ward agreed. He was like, I, when I wrote this script and I wanted to direct it, I did not think like we were ever going to attract someone like Robert Redford. Like as soon as he started seeing these names fill in, he was like, you know what? I'm not the guy. You're 100% right. I'm not the guy. I'm not this guy. I'm I'm out. So Redford calls George Roy Hill, who had directed uh, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Mm -hmm. And he passes the script on to him. Hill loves the script. He signs on. And then Hill says, what if we brought in? paul newman to which uh ward and bill said huh (laughs) henry gondorf was one much older than yeah it was it was they they described it as like a teenager and like a grandfather kind of relationship uh and also he just was not it was not like a two-hander like it was very he was he was a mentor character but he was very much a supporting character yeah and they in fact they said as as they were working on the script uh tony bill said he had pictured uh peter boyle in the role who mm-hmm. they were working on steel yard blues with he was like i was going to offer it to peter boyle mm-hmm. ward said he had pictured someone around that same age but a little bit slicker he said he had written the part for lee van cleef okay um yeah but checks. they said let's but they passed newman the script they said you want to get back together with robert redford george roy hill was like let's do this and newman said i'm in um but universal even universal was a little bit concerned over this because uh you know redford and newman were like the original buddies there's we've talked about how kind of butch cassie and the sundance kid was like the buddy comedy like in in the 80s everything kind of followed that this what what butch cassie kind of laid down yeah and the studios 
thought they were like everybody loves Redford and Newman together. No one's going to buy this like plot line that Hooker's going to betray Gondorf. Yeah. Uh, so the studio was like, we don't really want him. But finally, Ward was like, you know what? This is huge. It's not what I intended, but it's a it's a big deal that I can get Redford and Newman. So I'm, let me let me take the script. Let me do a rewrite. Mm-hmm. I'm going to age Gondorf down. I'm going to beef his roll up. I'm going to work on the betrayal. And let me give you a, few, a new draft and see what you think. Yeah. So he turned in a new draft. Studio reads it. They're like, you know what? Let's do it. This this works. So Newman and Radford are signed on. They agreed to equal billing and equal pay for the film. They mm-hmm. both got half a million dollars for their roles. It was a record at the time. It was the most wow. that an actor had ever gotten paid for a movie at that point. Adjusted for inflation, that comes out to about $3 million per actor for the movie. <laughs> Well, it is somewhat wild to think that was the highest paid and three million dollars now is like. Yeah, it was it was the highest fee without like back end profits. Gotcha. Um, Marlon Brando, I think, had just done uh, Last Tango in Paris. Yeah. And and gotten back like he had worked a deal out for back end profits. And that was the highest payday an actor had ever gotten. Yeah. For a guy who didn't love acting that in that in that era, he really knew how to create a true <laughs> deal um yeah. I, know, I know he got paid like God, i think for superman he got paid like a million dollars and he's in like how many scenes <laughs> it's like it's it's like basically five hundred thousand dollars per scene <clears throat> mm-hmm. for. so the last major role to cast was the villain doyle lonigan so richard boone uh who was the former star of tv's half gun will travel and is believed by many to be the inspiration for what Rick Dalton in once upon a time in Hollywood mm. uh, was cast in the role and by all accounts was expected to be in the film. But two weeks before shooting, he just ghosted the entire movie. Wow. He stopped showing up for rehearsals. He wouldn't answer phone calls. And he was like ducking his agent. Like they were, they were like, you got to find Richard just like oh would not gosh. return any of his agents calls. Just gone. gone. Oh, wow. So they start scrambling for replacements. They've got at this point, they've only got by the time they decided like he's he's done. He's out. They had a week left before shooting. Uh, they called Sterling Hayden. He was interested, but they he had a big old beard and they were like, you're going to have to shave for the movie. And he said, no. So at this point, you know, they've, they've got days before filming. Everyone they're calling is not available because yeah. actors are booked <laughs> out. You can't you can't book somebody with a, with a week left before shooting. Uh, but Robert Shaw happened to be free. Uh-huh. He had just hurt his leg in a racquetball accident and it was taking some time to let his leg heal. Oh. So George Roy Hill, George Roy Hill calls him and says, hey, you got to take this role. And Shaw says, I, I can't. I'm, I've got a limp right now. And Hill said, that's fine. Just turn it into the character. Wow. And Shaw agreed. So that's why Doyle Lonigan has a limp in the movie. That's kind of wild. Mm-hmm. <laughs> While they're putting the cast together, Hill's also assembling a crack team behind the camera. I like to picture a scene of him going and finding everybody and doing the little nose uh gesture <laughs> yeah he, wa- he walks down the costume department sees edith head edith head you in yeah robert surtees you in yeah <laughs> marvin hamlish <laughs> <laughs> so with the design team he'll set out to replicate the feel of 1930s films uh they had kind of discussed doing something in like black and white or sepia tone but instead he mm-hmm. wanted to create that with 
the production design so all the Mm. costumes are in like blacks browns and tans and maroons all the paint in the background is like tan really muted so the movie feels old without having to be like sepia toned or black and white yeah he also combed through classic films for tips to make the movie feel authentic uh one thing he noted that he said he wouldn't have thought of was going back to like james cagney movies um was that they didn't really have extras they didn't like cram the the city streets with extras like you would have in like a 60s you know especially in the 60s as people started filming on the actual streets of of the cities um there's a quote from hill he said when you watch those old cagney movies you saw him gunned down in the streets and he was completely alone so that was one of the things Mm. he, he specifically kind of laid out as a as a production idea was was not to fill the streets out with people when they were shooting yeah it's interesting yeah i I didn't notice that until you said that that's that is true there's certain scenes i think about saying it's nighttime so it makes more sense but like when revver's waiting outside the diner for the waitress like this just desolate no one's Mm -hmm. out no lights are on Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and it, it 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 almost it draws more attention to the fact that it's a back lot, but in doing so, yeah. it makes it feel more like those early studio films when yeah th- they didn't know how to make it not feel like a back lot, you know? Yeah, yeah. I wrote that down. I was like, is this at Universal? Because I know there's some scenes that like it's at it's in it looks like it's in Chicago mm-hmm. or wherever. Then I'm like, this yeah, like it a was back a little it was a little combination of both. Yeah, we'll yeah. talk about it. Okay. Um, he also noted the use of some outdated editing effects like wipes and iris ins and outs yep. and thought bringing some of those back would help it feel more more authentic. Uh, George Lucas would notably use the same idea when editing Star Wars a couple years later. <laughs> yeah. So they got the look of the film nailed down and the cast finally ready a week before. Uh, so they started to shoot across uh, Chicago and Los Angeles starting in January of 1973, which mm-hmm. made for a very cold shoot in Chicago. Uh, but at that point, let's let's talk about some favorite scenes. Yeah, um, this is an interesting one because I I don't really have a lot of just like individual scenes, if that makes sense. Because mm-hmm. I just I think the tone as a whole is really nice. Like mm-hmm. it, it's it's interesting because it's, it's it's again it's not like a let's have a big acting scene here. It's just kind of like mm-hmm. a, it's very plot heavy, if that makes sense, because it's a con movie. And and the, the characters, I think, just because it's Newman and Redford, are so well defined to begin with. Mm-hmm. We don't need much, but I think to just start off with, a I love the opening titles, like the Saturday Evening Post mm-hmm. type titles that, and all kind of they reoccur throughout the movie. But I do love the setup of Redford, um, with kind of the whole opening sequence mm-hmm. where. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was just gonna say it's kind of wild and I wonder if this is not one of those things that because Ward was a kind of more inexperienced writer he didn't know any better and but like the prologue is 25 minutes in in this movie yeah uh which is kind of crazy as far as like a story structure yeah thing goes um and I mean it entirely works because because Hooker's motivation and also his kind of how green he is and his flaws are all laid out in that first 25 minutes. And it's all super important to kind of laying out the con, but, but it is why I, I, this past time I watched it, I, I looked down when he, when he finally like gets to Gondor's place. I'm like, this is, this is act one. Like that's, that's the prologue. Yeah. And this is the start of it. And we're already 25 minutes into the movie. Yeah. And it's, and, and like you could, if you do that nowadays, what they'd probably do is they'd cut out the, 
the him going to the uh get the girl at the burlesque hall mm-hmm. and th- they might show him gamble it away very quickly but it, it wouldn't take as much time of him like getting a suit and all. He, he would just like go bet it all <laughs> and lose it all immediately what are the and, flowers for hook are you getting married yeah that that that, that whole sequence is great I and mean, he, he's like he's she's like i have to make five bucks what if i spend 50 on you and then he goes and just like burns three thousand, and she's just like, mm-hmm. "Next time you want to give me fifty, just mail it." Yeah, and and I think it's a great character moment too because yes. it's like he he yes he he fancies himself a, a grifter, he fancies himself a con man, but he's not smart enough to realize that he's also getting conned by, yes. by this casino. <laughs> yeah, it was wild. I was just like, "Do you not realize you're being conned by these people? <laughs> they know what they're doing." Um, but yeah, no, I, I, I love kind of that. Scene. And also just like a, the, the grift at the beginning, um, with the guy that's taken the, or like that's running numbers or whatever, it's taken to the train or whatever. Redford has just a, it's a great grift. It's a great pull. Like when he mm-hmm. does the, like you put it in your pants like this and then just switches it out, like without missing a beat. Yeah, uh, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's super great. well done. It's and well done. I'm sure it comes from from Ward reading all those books, but just you know the idea of of having Redford be like, you can't trust this guy. Like he's well, he's yeah. gonna steal the money, and that just puts that guy on the defensive and makes him want to do it more. Yeah. Um, Knowing good and yeah, well, I he's think, gonna steal the money. <laughs> yeah. I I think that I think that prologue is needed as well because they I think they do have to put in some extra work. I I, I wonder if some of that wasn't added once redford was when ward when ward did that rewrite because if you just opened and it was a 19 year old kid i feel like you would be like okay he's young he's dumb he's hot-headed you know that kind of comes yeah with the territory of seeing this kid doing but this but because at, it's redford yeah, but redford at 39 yeah you got to put in the work to be like he's dumb he's young yeah. he's hot-headed <laughs> no. you're the best I've ever seen but you're young it's yeah it's it's like yeah, a lot of stuff to learn, and you're like, "Cool, mm-hmm. let me learn it from this guy who's ten years older than me." <laughs> oh yeah, but no, I, I love that sequence. Um, what about you? What's kind of next on your radar? I mean, just I think I think it's great to to bring them together for the first time and have them kind of yeah. at odds with each other. It, it works super well, especially because you know the whole the whole time Butch Cassidy, they're just they're friends from from go you know it's, yeah. as soon as we're introduced to them there's never any really real friction between them there's just kind of good natured teasing yeah uh so to have them kind of open at odds with each other uh i think is fun it, it gives them a new angle to play between that kind of famous on-screen friendship between mm-hmm. them um obviously i love eileen brennan big eileen brennan guy so yeah happy to have her and i, I do really like the scene with with her and charles durning where he's trying to throw his weight around yes. and she's like not having any of it. Yeah. It's like, it's like, and when he's like, Oh, uh, I'll call, I'll bring the cops in. And she's like, well, or be careful. Cause like the police chief's three doors down or whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah, it, it's, 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 she's, she's great. She, I mean, cause she, it's, it's two years after last picture show and mm-hmm. she's really good in that as well is the thing. Um, yeah. but yeah, I know. I, like I, I love them. I love the kind of the, the, the where he lives at with like basically he's the merry-go-round operator is what he is and and that's why like if it's older it may it might make a little more sense of like he's this old guy living in like the back room of a merry-go-round place that's also a pro a, a basically a um a brothel slash bar essentially um which is fun 
Uh, yeah, Paul Newman's blue eyes, man, they pop in this movie. Gosh, yep. Redford's does too, but but Newman's the first thing you're just like, this guy has some just piercing mm-hmm. like like ocean water eyes. It's it's so it's 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 yeah, it's gorgeous. Gotta say that it's just gorgeous. Um, <laughs> and yeah, I love so. And then and then you add in Robert Shaw who has this really great scene, kind of building towards like the big like the big poker stuff. But like you have the scene where it's like you see him like great image of him just like playing at the casino alone by himself or whatever mm-hmm. uh, when they get when he gets the word about the the uh, the missing money and then he ha- I love the scene where he's golfing is but he's like oh what do you want me to do with this guy and he was just like you see that guy right there I know him since I'm six years old uh, great guy if he finds out that I uh, the, if he finds out that I got like conned by like one grifter. I'll have to kill him and anyone else who knows just so they know <laughs> that I can't be taken down by one lonely drifter drifter. Mm-hmm. Um, and then again, I love kind of the setting again, going into like when they go find the crew and everyone just starts like leaving all their stuff immediately to go join the gang um, for it with, um, I mean, Ray Walston. I love, I just, I, I think he's, he's always a favorite actor of mine of that period. Mm-hmm. Um, who else do we have in that? Who's the what's Harold Gould? Harold Gould, yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, it's just it's just a fun fun group of guys getting together to do this revenge thing. And I, I like the little arc they give the the like other guy that was in with with Hooker and, and Luther. You know, he like yes. shows up and he's not he's not very good. Uh, he's he was he was the muscle of the group and and he's not great at the at the real con. And he he yeah. gets a little gets a little mentor moment. I love that like Southern guy who's like, oh yeah, my specialty is a British accent. <laughs> British accent. <laughs> uh you know he kind of tries to help him out and then they've got that great moment where lonigan like sits next to him and everyone just kind of freaks out for a second and he freaks out and he's just like oh <laughs> he no. handles it yeah, yeah, yeah. oh um, no and, and yeah the car the the i skipped over the train sequence uh, I was, I was which i there, which yeah, i yeah. love yeah, yeah yeah the just newman and uh you know i, I feel like a lot of the stuff you're going to hear about this movie is like newman and redford but yeah uh Newman, I, I think Shaw's got great on screen. Whatever the opposite of chemistry is, you know, yeah. he, he makes a great foil to both of these guys. Yeah, and th- that's really the only time we really get him and Newman together on screen. He's he, you know, he yeah. comes and makes some like snide remarks anytime Lonigan comes into the comes into his uh, bar. But um, but yeah, yeah, his his whole like pretending to be drunk and uh the just the great moment when he when Lonigan grabs the gin bottle and he's like it's yeah. Lonigan Doyle Lonigan yeah oh yeah and yeah Newman Newman's late and then just like we're not waiting for this guy any longer and it's just like yeah he's like we we require a tie at the table you can either go get one or we can give you one. Oh, that sounds great <laughs> <laughs> and, and then it, yeah it's just but also even beforehand I love when Newman's in the cart in the car with uh Redford and he's doing like all the you're you're and he and he's really doing it the ace the 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 ace of spades or whatever that he's kind of like going through his hands and everything and the camera tilts up to show that it's been it actually has been Newman the entire time, um and then he kind of messes up when he like tries to shuffle and reference like are you sure you good he's like don't worry about me kid thirty nine year old Redford worry, worry about <laughs> yourself um ho- he's like, hopefully we get to my part or whatever but yeah mm-hmm. I, 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 the training sequence is really great um. And then you got Shaw, who's just like, we gotta throw him off the train. He's like, we're t- the guy's like two minutes away from the station. Like, <laughs> what are we doing? 
And reference like everyone's gonna know. Everyone's gonna know that you you killed a guy who owe, you owed money to. It's not gonna look good for you, buddy. Um, but yeah, what's next after that for you? Uh, I love the uh, getting kid twist to pretend to be the uh, pretend to be the Western Union. That was guy. that was my next li- that was my next thing too. Yeah, they come in and paint, and then and then the just the Ray Wilson uh, walking out. Go, yeah, yeah, yeah. Him him going over the intercom system. I'm gonna take an early lunch, and then they come in, and everyone's just gone. And like just half a wall's painted. Is what it is of mm-hmm. green green. Nothing put back except the the the, the picture. Um, mm-hmm. That's yeah. a very uh, yeah that that one feel I, I, that kind of uh, that I feel like Spielberg kind of channeled some of that scene into catch yes. me if you can like that has very similar energy of when Frank leans out the window and is like uh, yelling at the guy yeah. uh, helping the the blind man into the car. Hey, <laughs> yeah, hey Carl or whatever he says to him like yeah make sure LAP is not just messing up my crime scene. Um, <laughs> Yeah, and there's a lot. There's a lot of that too. Of just like, um, even when, um, oh gosh, Frank does some and and catch you can just like, uh, um, oh, I was supposed to be here because of this. Ah oh, man, well they did this, but a lot. Or even early on, when he's trying to con in his way to get into like get his check things. Like, oh, like he goes, I'm sick. No one or my mom. We need this money. No one has to know. Blah blah. blah. Um, but yeah, it's very much also it's the idea of like the idea of like the pinstripes thing of catch me if you can. I think with mm-hmm. the Western Union thing, it's like you carry a ladder and a bunch of work stuff and you can easily get your way into like a, Hey, like there's this thing on TikTok at one point. I'm just like, Hey, if you, if you carry a ladder or a clipboard into anywhere, you can kind of like get your way in there. Just like, Hey, I got somewhere to be. And they're like, okay, cool. Go ahead. Because you mm-hmm. look official and that's what they do here. Uh, and it works, it works well. And I love him coming back later, skipping ahead. Uh, when when eerie kid comes back or not eerie kid um but um uh kid twist comes kid back twist. kid twist uh, kid twist comes back a lot of kids in here um kid twist comes back and it's like uh sits down next to to shaw and it's just like how we do it and he's like yeah i placed i, I put it on on uh them to lucky win day. lucky day to win it was like i said to place and it's just like no like yeah lucky dan it's like, give me a Give me in there. There's been a mistake. he's so good in this. He's really oh, good. Man. Yeah, yeah. Shaw's great. It, make, it makes me. It makes me really bummed when I when I watch when I see him and stuff because I I not long ago read the the book of From Russia with Love and mm. the character that he plays in the movie is so much. There's so much more to him in the book and I'm like ah yeah. they could have put more in the movie. It would have been great. Yeah, he he's an actor that. While he was in stuff, he was in Jaws, and Jaws is always going to be kind of his claim to fame. Uh, he died at fifty-one, sadly, but he was in just a lot of really great movies. I think he's, mm-hmm. I think he's great in Taking a Pelham One, Two, Three. Um, and he's great in A Man for All Seasons, which I know you love mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. Like really, really talented actor. Did a lot of stage work, I know, and did like kind of other stuff. Um, also was a, was a writer himself is the thing. Um, and he kind of rewrote the Indianapolis speech on and jaws, but like it really, really phenomenal actor that doesn't, I, I felt that way about him and him and Scheider and jaws as well. Like those two guys, phenomenal actors in their time. Don't always get talked about in the same, uh, conversation as some of the actors of that period. But probably, you know, his, his two most famous roles, I, I feel like couldn't be further apart from each other. Cause yeah. Lonigan is so like, cool and collected and put together and then then when you get those moments that he does like there's just this like fire burning in him and when he does like explode it's it's kind of shocking to see you know when yeah. he because he, he's so like 
even you know and i think the limp kind of adds to it like he's very methodical and mm-hmm. and, and calm and and scary there's something kind of like i don't know like snake-like to him um and so when he does like sprint to the uh to the bookies uh counter and and, yeah and and you know when they're when they're when charles durning is like pulling him out and he's like but my money's in there it's like he somehow is able to turn from really menacing to pathetic very quickly yeah 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 yeah, that's that's part of the that's that's part of the reward of the con, you know, yeah. is seeing him kind of broken, uh, not just taking the money, but but seeing him panic, seeing him squirm a little bit because yeah. he's somebody who prides himself on on always having the upper hand on everyone. Yeah. Um. But back backtracking a little bit, the the scene after the Western or a little bit after Western Union, and they're kind of like prepare, like talking about the con. Um. Uh. And it was after Redford has the moment of like to- being told to like, as you later on, but also part of the con to like turn on Newman and turn Newman, mm-hmm. turn Newman in. And Newman kind of talks about revenge. He's like, after Grifton for 30 years. Uh, I've never seen, I've never seen revenge like pan out well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then it's, it's, it's never enough. It's never enough. And as we always say, he's like, he's like, I don't want some young, I don't want some young kid being like, I want more. There's never going to be more. And it's a good payoff later when, um redford's like you're right it's it wasn't enough but it's close is mm-hmm. the thing um there's a there's a moment in that scene with uh with redford and the and the fbi agent um might be a little on the nose but i do kind of like what george roy hill does it's like charles durning is is like in shadow that, mm-hmm. that whole scene every time they cut back to him and it and it's you know, and and maybe in the first viewing of it, it's to make him a little bit more menacing. But but as you rewatch it and realize what's going on, it's like he's in the dark. He's yeah. he's lit- he's literally in the dark. He's yeah. being played right to his face in this moment, and he has no clue, no idea, no idea at all. Um, let's see what else do I have next. I do like, I do like Redford's kind of like the relationship and sequences with their waitress. Is the thing, um, what. You don't? I'll talk about that later. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Well, specifically, the moment I like the most, I, I like when he talks about the train, like when she's talking about the train, like get uh wherever like it takes me or whatever, like no place to go to wherever it takes me somewhere else but here. And then he's like, what are you doing tonight? Sleeping uh, is what she says. And then I like the kind of Redford waiting outside the her, like the diner and then going up and, and like talking to her. And again, it's, it's interesting kind of talking about the con of it all because you're in the in the moment you're thinking Redford's thinking about one thing about betraying his friend but then you kind of find out later he's he's never doing that um mm-hmm. but it is this kind of like nice moment of just like it's 2 a.m i have no place to go uh we're kind of the same or whatever um i i like i like i like that sequence was the thing um i don't know how it, how i feel i mean i know we talk i know we'll probably bring it up later but kale's review about that and like uh eileen brennan's scene I'm just like it just cuts eileen brennan in bed with newman you're like oh, okay <laughs> i guess we're not gonna talk about that really at all um yeah but but yeah no i, I do like the little that just it, it hill takes his time i guess with that moment is the thing with mm-hmm. redford it's kind of he kind of builds you have that little kind of getaway like chase where she helps him out in the bathroom to get away from the the guy um who I just the only thing I know him from at the moment is uh bushwhacked with uh, Daniel Stern. You know what I'm talking about? You ever, <laughs> yeah. you ever see bushwhacked? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, he's been in more, but that's the thing that pops in my head. 
Um, but uh, but yeah, I, I like the, I like that sequence. Um, all right, I think the the end, the sting. Yeah, gonna, is that our last? I, I mean, honestly, from killing the waitress <laughs> with that kind of twist, because because I, I, I'd forgotten kind of about that. I was just like. Because they, they keep showing the guy with the glove, with the with the black mm-hmm. gl- leather gloves, and you're like, oh, that's the guy who's like Salerno to, or yeah, whatever. He's supposed to kill. He's supposed to kill Redford. Um, supposed to kill. Uh, yeah, supposed to kill Redford uh, Kelly, and um, and then it um, it has that twist that like, oh, actually, he's like been just watching to protect him, and it's mm. actually the waitress the entire time that's been like kind of hired to to kill him basically. Um, but yeah, I like the sequence. And yeah, going into the final con where it it basically has you on the hook till the very end of like who's the one that's gonna be conned, and then you realize like the whole shooting and stuff is all part of it and and they walk out like some I, I think as I think maybe Ebert or Kels like I think Ebert um was like, Oh, they're about to go walk into the next movie basically. It feels like they're mm-hmm. They're like it's. There's a journey for 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 Kelly and Shaw. Uh, for the next Shaw. Uh, yeah, Kelly and Shaw. His name is the Calm Shaw. Um, so many names in here. Um, but Henry oh, Gondorf, Gondorf. Gondorf, and then Hooker. And, and Hooker. Yeah. Um, I keep saying Kelly and Shaw are their fake names. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Somebody, somebody put. You know how IMDb trivia can be. Somebody put in like the IMDb trivia. They were like, his his fake name is Shaw, and so when they're playing poker like shaw the actor says mr shaw in dialogue i'm like that's not that's it's not trivia, that's not that's trivia. trivia. <laughs> no and, and being as he he wasn't cast till pretty late in the movie it sounds like i think shaw mm-hmm. was just my yeah, I, don't, no, I, don't I don't think that was that, on purpose i don't think that was on purpose either um <clears> no but <throat> it's a great and, and, I, and i like redford just like you know wait for your cut or no one's like you know wait for your cut he's like i'll just blow it and you know he will you know he <laughs> yep. will that's the thing <laughs> And then you get everybody has a little nose, job well done. It's their little Bellagio fountain uh, it is. scene. Yeah. Um, I, I here's a, here's a question. First yeah. time you saw it, do do they sell the? I mean, I was like eight the first time I saw it, and I thought I thought that they sold it to me. I, like, I thought the they betrayal sold. And I the, thought they sold it as well. I thought they sold it as well the first time I saw it. Because they do, they they, yeah. they they go out of their way, and I, that might be part of Ward's rewrites to be like Hooker is a liability. Like he, yeah, as as good as Gondorf is, Hooker is almost nothing but like he 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 is just constantly like a source of of he could a mistake could happen if a mistake's going to happen, it's coming through him. So yeah, so for him, and 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 you know the the idea that he's doing all of this for Luther for Luther's family, so when luther's wife is brought in as leverage that would be the thing to break him like i think yeah. i think it's understandable yeah um i don't know if it's understandable that gondorf would just like shoot him immediately but uh, <laughs> but, but it's, you know. it's just it's just enough to to make you believe it and to get them mm-hmm. the people who aren't on the con out of there as quickly as possible get him out of here and not to get back not to come back yeah, yeah, and 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 the you know they they say at the beginning I think which is which is the great kind of the thesis of when when Gondorf is telling him like you you can't pull one over on someone like Lonigan he was like in order to do this he would have to he he can never know that you conned him yeah and and so that ultimately when you finally realize like oh that is we've conned two people we've conned Charles Durning and yeah. we've conned uh, Lonigan and neither of them they're they're both 
the you know in the end when he's like there's also two bodies in there we got to get you away from here like for two of them to think that they came out on top is yeah. is the the ultimate goal you know that's but why i have five hundred thousand dollars in there but my money's in there um but, you know that's why terry benedict shows back up in oceans 12 is because yeah. he knows that he got he knows he got screwed over yeah um, and he knows they're alive he knows they're alive. He's mm-hmm. like they're, they're dead um but yeah no it, it's it, I, I i i buy it and it's also it set up the kind of tone of the movie is the thing for mm-hmm. that to kind of happen. Um, and they, and again, they've, they've kind of set up where it's like, again, hooker never tells Hint Gondorf about like me and the FBI. And you kind of see him always kind of conflicted when talking to Gondorf afterwards. And it's the waitress stuff. And then hooker also doesn't tell Gondorf that like, he's been like tracked by, by, uh, yeah, we never see him. He's kind of purposely hiding the Durning stuff from him as far as we know. So it wouldn't, it doesn't even, it doesn't even cross our minds that like Gondorf would put together a plan to get rid of Durning because as far as we know, like, yeah, like hooker's embarrassed about it. So he doesn't really want Gondorf to know. No. Um, I'm just a 39 year old kid. I, I gotta do it on my own. Yeah, after that scene with, with Eileen Brennan where she kind of comes and like says something to him, he's like, "Any of you guys been passing fake money around?" And and, and Newman looks right like at stare, him. Like, like stares right at Hooker, and Hooker's like, mm, "No, no." no. <laughs> <laughs> well, like right when yeah, right when Brennan tells him, he looks right at Redford, and then <laughs> and Redford's like, "No, no, no, not me." Mm, yeah, that's, that's, <laughs> that's crazy. That's crazy. He runs a numbers racket on the south side. He owns a packing house. A few banks. Yeah, and half the politicians in New York and Chicago are fixing this world gonna cool him out if he blows on you. I'll get him anyway. Why? Because I don't know enough about killing to kill him. Can't do it alone, you know. Takes a mob of guys like you and enough money to make them look good. Oh, I know plenty of guys. It's not like playing winos in the street. You can't outrun. I never played for no winos. You gotta keep his con even after you take his money. He can't know you took him. You're scared of him. Right down to my socks, Buster. You're talking about a guy who'd kill a grifter over a chunk of money, wouldn't support him for two days. You're gonna go for him. just don't want a hothead looking to get even coming back halfway through saying it ain't enough because it's all we're gonna get so for on set life uh got off got off to a little bit of a nervous start the producers were a little bit nervous uh they were shooting out week one uh Uh, they didn't shoot it chronologically but they did start with kind of shooting out robert earl jones's character yeah and uh nothing seemed to be working the uh the actors weren't gelling the style they didn't feel like was really coming off and the producers they were just like i don't i don't know if we've got this movie they were kind of whispering it among themselves (laughs) and they they said on friday george roy hill came to them and was like hey guys uh i don't know if you noticed but this isn't working and they were like oh oh yeah no you don't you don't say (laughs) uh and he was like can i take the weekend rethink some things talk to the cast and we just throw out week one like we just toss wow. it and they said yes and they said they came back the next week and everything just worked and they they were off i wonder what was wrong like i wonder I, I that's a wild like that's crazy to think i mean it's better you did in the in the first week and not like yeah yeah, yeah. it's not the it's not, not like how not, what was it three weeks on back to the future when yeah it might have been more like it was pretty far into it. you're like bob's just like steven we don't have it we don't have it 
Eric's not our guy. I need that kid from the. I need that, I need kid that from Family the, Ties, ties yeah. kid. I mean, have you? I haven't watched the documentary yet. Still about. Uh, I've wa- I've seen the scene the about yeah yeah about him doing both at the same time. That yeah, was the clip that, that went that went big, um, because it was just like he basically he was just like going from place to place, and which I already always knew that, but to see it in that type of kind, I like actually seeing like an animated version of that of him like like i slept on the camera truck <laughs> on the camera truck and like basically it's like basically just getting like two hours of sleep a night is what it was mm-hmm. of like doing family ties then going from family ties sleeping in the car going to back to the future shooting back to the future all night going back home uh taking a shower going to bed for two hours being woken up by the, the next driver it just is like repeat that's wild um mm-hmm. but yeah a one, one weekend at least you can have it. And I think, too, because it's Redford and Newman, Universal's like, okay, we'll we'll have, we'll have let you do a week more, yeah. basically. Mm-hmm. Um, speaking of Redford and Newman, uh, shooting on location for this film was kind of tough because you've got Robert Redford and Paul Newman, and yeah. people were going nuts. One reporter who visited the set uh, while they were shooting in a Chicago train station said they hadn't seen anything like it since Beatlemania. It was just wow. People would crowd in to watch the the filming, and you know, crowds crowds don't like to be quiet during takes. It's not uh, no. they're not known to to hush when uh, when the take starts up. But most interestingly, the reporter noted is that most of the crowd seemed to be there for Newman. Oh. Uh, everyone mm-hmm. thought you know Robert Redford was the hot young guy a lot of people kind of viewed the sting as newman passing the torch to redford he had been the lead in butch cassidy but his last four films had flopped while robert redford's star was on the rise and in the sting kind of while they were both billed the same kind of hooker is undeniably the main character yeah of the sting uh, but the public did not feel similarly. And while uh, many women in the crowd ooed and not over Redford when he had arrived to set, reports say they just exploded into cheers wow. whenever Paul Newman showed up. One, one young kid is reported to have pointed at Redford when he was walking to his trailer and yelled, hey, there's the Sundance kid. I wonder where Butch Cassidy is. He's the one I want to see. <laughs> oh, man. Robert Shaw was amused by the fervor for Newman telling a reporter in Rolling Stone, I mean, I picked up about two fans on the way and those two ladies would show up to set and walk with me from set to the trailer. And with great joy, they introduced (laughs) me to some of their friends along the way. And none of these girls knew who the hell I was. (laughs) But they all recognized Newman, to be sure. I mean, everybody would come up and kind of swoon over him, but they didn't in Redford's case. Not at all. Wow. (laughs) Chicago fans were Chicago folks were not a fan, not not a big fan of Redford. Uh, Redford honestly didn't seem to mind. It it, it seems like he didn't love it's pro- it's probably, publicity. Yeah, it's probably probably a good like break break from mm-hmm. it all. It's like good, Paul, you take this. Yeah, yeah. Well, literally, there's a a profile that was supposed to be of him in a San Francisco newspaper. They sent a reporter out to kind of hang out with Redford and and interview him and write a profile and Redford just pawned him off on Newman. <laughs> this reporter said, you know, he'd been there for like a day or two and Paul Newman came up with him and was like, Hey, ride with me back to the hotel. And then from then on, it was like Paul Newman's profile instead of new instead of Redford. Uh-huh. Newman seemed happy to talk to anybody, but the one person he really wanted to talk to was David Ward. 
George Roy Hill had allowed Ward to be on set as the screenwriter, but he had one stipulation. You are not allowed to talk to Paul Newman. Uh, supposedly on Butch Cassidy, Newman had developed a friendship with uh, legendary writer William Goldman, who mm-hmm. wrote the script for Butch Cassidy and Sundance Kid, and their friendly chats during production would often turn into discussions about the script and the character that Hill was not involved in. Hill didn't care for this, and he told Ward, you're only allowed to be on set if you avoid Paul Newman completely. Ward said this proved harder than he expected as Newman started seeking him out on day one. He was like, I heard day one, like, Paul Newman's on set. He's like, who's the writer? Where's the writer? (laughs) And he spent several days literally running away from Paul Newman. Like, If Paul Newman came in the room, he'd go. (laughs) He said, finally, one day, someone grabbed him from behind and yelled, gotcha. And he turned around. (laughs) He turned around and it was Paul Newman. And Paul Newman said, you've been avoiding me, haven't you? Ward said, of course not. You're Paul Newman. Why would I avoid you? To which Newman grinned and said, because George Hill told you to. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah. I love that. I love that. Uh, One member of the team who hadn't been recruited when production began was the film's composer. Uh, Hill had reached out to Marvin Hamlish, who had been the composer on Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. One of my favorite soundtracks of all time. Mm -hmm. Uh, With an idea. The composer, Scott Joplin, who was an artist who was kind of notoriously underappreciated in his lifetime, uh, had just been rediscovered by music historians and audiences in 1970 with the release of two records that compiled his works kind of notably when he was alive the maple leaf rag was the only of his songs to get any kind of commercial success the entertain not the entertainer did not uh was not successful in his lifetime um but around 1970 those records come out and kind of joplin fever takes over he was getting played on the radio people were buying up the records and importantly it was started to become his pieces started to become kind of standard for children's uh piano pieces Mm mm-hmm uh, and so George Roy Hill had a son who was learning piano and he started playing Scott Joplin in the house and Hill kind of grew fond of the music through that. Mm-hmm. So he proposed to Hamlish that they adapt Joplin songs to fit as the score of the film. Uh, Hamlish balked at the idea at first because Scott Joplin uh, died in 1917. Most of his songs were composed in 1909. And so it had nothing to do with a 1930s gangster film or con film. Uh, But Hill thought that the playfulness of the ragtime music kind of fit the tone of, of the film. Yeah. So Hamlish finally agreed and he had never adapted music from somebody else into a score before. But once he started kind of getting into Joplin, he found himself really fascinated with the process and just like focused in on it. And he said he worked relentlessly, didn't sleep, knocked it out in five days. Wow. The whole thing. And he called his agent and said, hey, I'm done with the piece. And his agent said, don't tell anyone that in a month. We'll turn it in and we'll bill him for a month's worth of work. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) Don't tell them that. So you're working constantly for a month. Yep. I got to get my 10%. Don't do this to me. <laughs> so they shot out their scenes starting in Loca- in Chicago on location. Mm. Uh, then they went and did some location work in L.A., including the Santa Monica Pier, the carousel. That's what uh, I thought. Okay. <laughs> that's what I thought. Yep. Yeah, that's the carousel from the pier. Uh, they shot in a couple of kind of hotels, hotel lobbies in L.A. for that kind of, for that look. And then they finished up on the Universal backlot. 
And so, they, so they use like matte paintings is what it was for like the top. Cause like, cause it's not fully the pier when mm-hmm. they show the outside. So they must've used like matte paintings or something to put around mm-hmm. it. Yeah. Um, to make it look that way. Cause that's why I was like, it looks like Santa Monica pier, but, but it does, but there's like buildings. And there's like, like Chicago in the background. But it looked really good. That's why I was like, Oh wow. Okay. But yeah, mm-hmm. that's de- okay. That's definitely Santa Monica pier. Gotcha. Copy that. Mm-hmm. I, I, the first time I was in LA I, and, and like went to the Santa Monica pier, I was like, is this, this is the carousel from the sting. sting? <laughs> I mean, it's it's a nice little area that that yeah. like here. So I mean, it's fine because people use it in the weirdest things. Like I remember, um, uh, the movie Skate Town USA, very very big pull here. Um, <laughs> but with Patrick Swayze, Patrick Swayze is a, a, a skater, as a roller skater. It was really in the height of like roller skating and disco and stuff. But the uh, but the thing is that they 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 basically will like ride down the the hill on Santa Monica Pier right there the, the mm-hmm. you're going down and they roll into where the carousel is and that cuts them at the Hollywood Palladium like <laughs> indoors I was like that's that that's opposite sides of town that's not, <laughs> not the place mm-hmm. anyway they finally wrapped with a uh, 5.5 million dollar budget okay pretty quick turnaround they they shot from like january to march 1973 okay came out on christmas day of 1973 oh i had a lot of time to edit that okay yep and it was an immediate success yeah commercially and critically roger ebert gave the movie four stars he said he liked it better than butch cassidy Mm -hmm. and he praised george roy hill's direction saying the style here is so seductive and witty it's hard to pin down it's like nothing else i've seen from hill and at times, it almost reminds me of Jacques Tati crossed with Robert Altman. Yeah, which is a we. That's a weird combo hell of a right comparison. There, yeah. hell, of a, hell of a combo right there. Uh, I it, when you start reading all these critiques of the film, it really seems like a lot of the critics were won over by the charms of the film, specifically because it came out right at the kind of rise of mm-hmm. gritty indie crime films, yeah. late sixties, early seventies. Ebert said it was refreshing to have a crime film that was more concerned with character and humor than good than blood and gore. And Vincent Canby in the New York Times called it so good natured, so obviously aware of everything it's up to, even its own picturesque frauds that I opt to go along with it. One forgives its unrelenting efforts to charm, if only because the sting itself is kind of a con game, devoid of the poetic aspirations that weighed down Butch Cassie and the Sundance Kid. I don't know if I agree with the weighing down of Butch Cassidy and Sundance Kid, but it is that kind of it's got this. And, and that's something that we've talked about with con movies um, that it seems like, as we said, this one's kind of the blueprint. Uh, it's yeah. just it's just fun. It's it's winking at you. It's charming. And, and so you, you just go along with it. It's it's just a good time. Uh, yeah, I agree. Someone who was not a fan of the film was New Yorker critic Pauline Kale. Uh, this is a hell of a review from Kale. She is scathing. She digs into everything from Hill's direction, which she calls implacably impersonal Mm -hmm. to the casting saying Redford's too old. Paul Newman's too young. Uh, a quote says, isn't it a little early in life for Paul Newman to be playing an old pro trickster coming out of retirement for one last score. It's the acting profession that Newman seems to be prematurely retiring from. Wow. Mm. Oof. Yeah. It's a dig. Big dig. She yeah. 
she also digs into the on-screen pairing of Redford and Newman, saying, I would, re- I would much rather see a picture about two homosexual men in love than see two romantic actors going through a routine whose point is that they're so adorably smiley butch that they can pretend to be in love and it's all innocent. This was more fun in the 40s and 50s when male couples played these games and we guessed from the way they looked at each other that they really might be lovers off screen. It is, it is a wild one. Uh, <laughs> she... She calls out the lack of female characters in the film, saying that this movie just omits half of humanity, which is a fantastic way to put that. (laughs) Um, Like I said, this is one of her most biting works. It it seems like, like we said, a lot of people were hailing it as kind of a callback to Hollywood studio fare in decades past during the transition to independent cinema in the 60s and 70s. She very clearly sees it as like a step back from this movement that she she helped usher in i mean you know she was a champion of of that style of filmmaking the 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 independent kind of grittier uh new york scene and so she took this opportunity to just rail against all of it (laughs) yeah and that's the thing about kale you know i might not agree with her but i love i love reading it yeah but yeah she spends she spends like a whole paragraph just talking about how Paul yeah. Newman is like not believably not, not, yeah. an old drunk, <laughs> and how they should spend more time focusing on their their acting profession. They don't, it's they don't care about it. It's mm-hmm. it's yeah. Whew. Well, most yeah, of America one. must not have picked up the New Yorker that week because <laughs> they uh, they went to see the movie in droves. Yeah, uh, the movie smashed the box office on Christmas Day, and it stayed at the top of the box office long into 1974 eventually ending its run with $160 million, the equivalent of $80 million adjusted for inflation today. And it still currently sits at number 21 in the all-time adjusted box office gross. Uh, just wow. above. It's just above Raiders of the Lost Ark. Wow. That's insane. Think about that. Mm-hmm. Mm. And then, as if box office success wasn't enough, award season came not long after. The movie was nominated for 10 Academy Awards, Best Picture, Best Director, Best Actor, Best Screenplay, Best Art Direction, Best Cinematography, Best Costume Design, Best Editing, Best Adapted Score, and Best Sound. It won all but three of those nominations, taking away seven awards that night. Mm. Uh, Robert Redford lost Best Actor to Jack Lemmon in Save the Tiger. I've heard of it. I've never seen Save the Tiger. It, I, I hear he's great in it, but it's one that did not like pick up over time. If that makes sense, mm-hmm. like, uh, and he already won. He already won an Oscar at that point. Lemon Hat, I think, for Mister Roberts. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it's this is a big year. If you look at the mm-hmm. like, seven, that's thing. When you go I got, this, I got, I got some, some laid out. Let, let's okay. go through it real quick. Um. So Robert Surtees lost cinematography to Sven Nyquist for Ingmar Bergman's Cries and Whispers and sound editing uh, went to The Exorcist. That's so fair. That's fair. For best director, George Roy Hill beat out Bergman, Bertolucci, William Friedman for The Exorcist Freak and new, yeah. newcomer yeah. George Lucas yeah, uh, yeah. and this and script for best script beat out American Graffiti, uh, Cries and Whispers save the tiger and a touch of class mm. um winning best picture made uh the 30 year old producer julia phillips both the youngest person to win the best picture and the first female I to figured, ever yeah. win best yeah, picture yeah, i figured yeah 
and it was the first Best Picture win for Universal since 1930 with All Quiet on the Western Front. Wow, that's a big gap. Mm-hmm. 43 years, wow. Um, this was uh, this was Edith Head's eighth Oscar, and her her it would be her final Oscar for Best Costume Design. Uh-huh. But the uh, the best night was had by Marvin Hamlish, who won three Oscars that oh, wow. night. Oh, wow. He won Best Adapted Score for this, for The Sting. He won Best Original Score for The Way We Were. And he won Best Original Song for the title song, The Way We Were. Gosh. And and both Redford movies, too. Yep. Yep. Man, what a... Mm. That's insane. So was it nominated for... In every, was, it, was it nominated in every category? Except actresses? Yes, um, except actresses. Basically. Um... So uh, this is wild. How does Cries and Whispers be in the 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 running for best picture and everything, but doesn't even get nominated for best foreign language film? <laughs> That's wild. Um, and yeah, and yeah, Paper Moon as well as this th- this year as well, which we talked mm-hmm. about. Um, Paper Moon took all the good female the the actresses and put them in. <laughs> And that one, um, yeah, tough year, tough year. Last detail, Jack Nicholson. I mean, I here's the thing: I haven't seen Save the Tiger. I have a feeling this is a year I think you could give it to anyone on this list: Brando mm. and Last Tango, Nicholson, Last Detail, Pacino and Serpico, Redford and Sting. I love Nicholson, Last Detail. Um, that's kind of where Nicholson kind of melds the two like his early Nicholson and later Nicholson roles and puts them into one. So that's where I think he really develops his persona as in last detail. Um, but yeah, tough year, tough year. Mm-hmm. Yep. So box office success, Academy Awards rec- uh, recognition. Yeah. What comes next, but lawsuits. <laughs> Author David W. Maurer sued the film, claiming that it was based heavily on his 1940 nonfiction book, The Big Con. Screenwriter Ward countered by saying he had read The Big Con, but he had done extensive research across you know, dozens of books, and he hadn't drawn specifically from any one book. It couldn't be said that he based the script on, on The Big Con. Unfortunately for Ward, however, The Big Con was about real-life con man and brothers Fred and Charlie Gondorf. So he didn't oh, have wow. Gosh. <laughs> much to stand on. No, he did not. Oh, wow. David. Universal Universal had also used a quote from Mars book and some promotional materials for the film. So they oh, chose to no. settle out of court yeah. for three hundred thousand uh, dollars, which continued to be a sore subject for Ward kind of throughout his career that he had been accused of plagiarism. Yeah. A companion lawsuit was filed by a development company named Fallaway Productions who had bought the film rights to the Big Con in 1952, and they claimed that by stealing from the Big Con, Universal had also stolen from them. But by settling the claim with Marr out of court, this claim was nullified and the lawsuit was tossed out. Mm. The success of the film would launch the producers into success, with Tony Bill continuing to act, produce, and direct into his career. And Michael and Julia Phillips went on for to have a very good 70s, uh, producing Taxi Driver and Close Encounters. Wow. But overnight success did not come for Ward. Uh, not many of his scripts went sold in the 1970s. And in the early 80s, Universal called him up to write a sequel to The Sting, saying that Hill 
was already down to return and that he would bring Redford and Newman back with him. Ward wrote the script only for none of them to come back. Uh, Redford and Newman were replaced by Mac Davis and Jackie Gleason, and the film was directed by Jeremy Kagan. Yeah. Uh-uh. After learning of this, Ward asked to have his name removed from the film, but the studio refused. And The Sting premiered in 1983 and made $6 million at the box office. And I see currently has a 0% on Rotten Tomatoes. Yep. Yeah. Fortunately, mm-hmm. though, Ward's career turned around. In the 80s, he wrote and directed the hit comedy Major League before yeah. writing Sleepless in Seattle, which we've which, discussed which is wild. many times on yeah, here. Yeah, which is wild to think. He's a writer on that. Uh, he reunited with Tony Bill in 2006 when Bill directed Ward's script for the James Franco film Flyboys. You remember that one? I do. I've seen that one. Uh, that was a that was a rental. That that was not a theater. Mm-hmm. That was a, that that was like I'm now realizing it was actually released in theaters when I initially thought it was just a direct to DVD movie. Uh, and it was released in theaters and cost 60 million dollars. So I guess it just did not come to Tuscaloosa, Alabama, until it was on the the rental shelves of uh blockbuster and movie gallery mm-hmm. i'm pretty sure I, I have a distinct memory of watching that one like on a bus like on a field trip <laughs> and they like put it on the uh tv maybe too maybe too <laughs> you might be right there huh yeah maybe i know i so, watched it yeah i know i, I might have owned it actually too <laughs> they closed they closed yeah i bought a lot of movies it's okay uh so what works in the sting well, the tone of the movie really works. That's that's kind of the big key here is the tone of this film is really, especially as you're talking about kind of the period of which is coming out in, in 73, it, it's a very hard to kind of pull off that tone and also for be successful. What says, which says to me is that in this period, there was still an audience for stuff like this. Mm-hmm. It wasn't all about like taxi driver, like darker, grittier movies it actually was people were open to these it's always funny seeing those like lighthearted movies that kind of sneak in like mm-hmm. i always i'm always like fascinated by like 1776 that comes in like the mm-hmm. early 70s because it's very much like a like a really old school musical that's somehow mm-hmm. released in the middle of the the new hollywood era mm-hmm. um but yeah this the tone of this is really great i i love the whole ensemble of it is the thing i think robert shaw is amazing um yes i i, I have something i'll say a little bit later uh but but newman and and redford are good together here i'll talk about the ages the ages of it next <laughs> um but they are really good together i think i think newman i actually i really love paul newman like my appreciation for paul mm-hmm. newman continues to grow and i really love paul newman in this is the thing mm-hmm. um yeah yeah and you yeah i think i think it's it's just a great like getting the gang back together yeah um i personally in the like ongoing debate of which one's better i'm more of a butch cassidy guy i think they i think they get to play with each other a little bit more in that you know yeah yeah, that's fair but um but yeah i think they're i think they're both great here um love i love shaw i love charles derning Mm -hmm. I, i think they're both like really good villains and 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 really like hamming it up but but like you said it's all just in the in the nature of of nostalgia it's all yeah. just making you feel like those classic cereals. universal heyday yeah, yeah. Cer- serials or gangster films or yeah yeah, 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 yeah. really gangster films yeah yeah just yeah and and i think for the most part i think the con is pulled off really well i think it's i think it's a great twist and i and i think they really lay it down 
it's wild that ward kind of as a as a his second screenplay ever like laid the groundwork for how to make a con movie with this yeah. idea that like you've got to trick the audience as much as you have to trick the 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 mark yeah um and i think marvin hamlish does a great job in this i i <laughs> it's one of those even though it's anachronistic it just it just works it just yeah. fits the joplin the joplin stuff goes really well uh with everything else that's that's going on um yeah i think that i think that covers what works so i agree, I agree. what doesn't work here i mean the eight the ages between new <laughs> it's just like i wrote down my notes pretty early on because it's like kept referring to his kid i was like Redford looks pretty old to be a kid. I here. mean, in defense, Harold Gould's name is Kid Twist, so that's true. But, but, I, but th- that could make more sense if he's, just, he's an older he's an older guy who's like gotten that name. Mm-hmm. But his nickname is that. He's not just being called as like a almost insult. Hey, kid, let me show you how mm-hmm. it's done. Hey, thirty nine year old kid, let me show you how it's done. Um, yeah. And also, too, just I think I think you could get away with like having someone older now. Because I think people just look young, younger. I think at this point, people just look older is the thing. Mm-hmm. Um, except Newman. Newman somehow looks younger. <laughs> That's the wild part is that Newman looks like as Newman and Redford look much closer in age than what they actually are, which is just mm-hmm. wild. Like, Which I don't think they did in Butch Cassidy. I think it's got to do with uh, and, and Butch Cassidy. I think it's got to do with kind of the way they they redford's got the he's kind of like i think because like redford's really shaggy hair yeah. and he's got the mustache newman's, and more clean newman's, cut. Yeah. newman's more clean cut like i think the age difference really plays in that one uh maybe a little bit more than it does here, here i agree i agree um that's my big thing did i have anything else here did you i, I feel like you had something yeah and i feel bad saying this because you know pauline kale talked about not having enough women in the movie and i i would cut uh i would cut one of the two female characters in the movie but um i just i don't need that storyline i think oh, the, waitress, it's the, the, only, wa- the waitress one the waitress storyline um i think it's the only place in the movie that the logic like doesn't work for me it's it's like why is this hitman her plan is to get a wait waiting job in this diner and just kind That's of fair. hang around and wait for robert redford to like come to her and and it's like she so she knows like somewhere within uh within lonigan's so so somewhere within lonigan's uh you know hierarchy within his game yeah. like someone knows that that's hooker and, and hooker's the one, but it doesn't get back to him. Like what hooker looks like that hooker's still in the area. Cause you know, they, they tell Lonigan like, Oh, that guy left town. And he's like, well put Salerno on it. Salerno will find him. And so like, she's got the mark on him. She's been following him, but it never gets back to Lonigan that like mm. Salerno, ha- he's still in Chicago and Salerno's like on to him. Um, and I and I just I don't know it just feels like another twist like the whole like grabbing her in the alley and and, and shooting her just feels like another twist that's not necessarily okay. needed. It was like they were like oh let's let's throw another twist in here that she was the killer and the guy that's been following him is a bodyguard. Um, yeah, I, I mean don't know. I I like it, but I do like the part that that does feel like you have to like explain it is when reference like. Why didn't she kill me in a room last night? <laughs> oh, that lady saw saw you go in. Oh, like, oh, oh, yeah. Someone could see because someone saw y'all prob- probably or whatever, and you're like, 
Okay, and I forgot about the lady. Yeah, yeah. He's like, she's she's one of the best hitmen for the mob, and it's yeah. like, okay, well, this is a really we, weird way of going about doing that. But she was down having sex last night. That's all I got. <laughs> that's what. It is. Yeah, it's like, it's like, well, she's gonna at least have sex before she tries to kill me. Basically, what it is. Um, yeah, yeah. That's that's uh, that's fair. That's fair. I still like it though. <laughs> I I like the I like the leading up to it more of when it's this kind of like I, I think there's something there to have that character who's like kind of alone in the world or at least to make believe that he's like alone like he's having to, to mm-hmm. rat out his friend to have someone to confide in I guess or someone to be around um but that's fair I I, I, I get it I you might not need him as much at the diner as he is like mm-hmm. it's not I, I think that's maybe the big thing is that he needs to be at like maybe the diner like one or so less times. Mm-hmm. is the thing so um that's fair anything else no i think i think that's about it that's okay. that's my main one and and i do think the movie clocks in at 205 yeah and yeah. uh it could it could, it could lose it, it needs about it's, those it, scenes it's about an hour an hour and 50 hour yeah. and 50 is what i think it needs to be yeah i agree yeah uh but that's it and the age thing, I agree with you on the age thing. Yeah. It especially stuck out to me. When I was a kid, you know, when I was like eight and I was watching this movie, I was like, yeah, all adults look like, you know, they're all older than me. So I don't, I don't have any frame of reference other than yeah. that. But um, but yeah, coming back to it now, I'm like, yeah, he's, I, maybe they just call him kid because he didn't get into grifting until so he was much uh, later. <laughs> so much later. Yeah. yeah. Um, a little bit of trivia. Uh huh. I, I threw a lot of it into the script, but uh, yeah, yeah. just before the sting was announced for best picture at the Academy Awards was when uh, photographer Robert Oppel famously streaked across the stage. Yeah. Uh, David, David, David Niven. 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 Yeah. Yep. Yeah. David Niven was just about to announce Liz Taylor coming out who she was the one who would present the best picture Oscar. Um, Oppel would game infamy as the streak would later i just found this out would later be murdered during a break-in at his san francisco art gallery holy shit yep okay uh one thing that the uh producers had to fight with the studio on for this one was the studio did not like the title of the script uh even though in in doing his research on on the cons uh Ward had named it after the sting, which is the moment that you separate your mark from his money, which is obviously the most important part for this movie. The idea that the sting hat, he, that he can't know about the sting. He can't feel the sting. Uh, but in the 1970s, that was a a dead term and it had become the idea of, of a police uh, operation was a sting. And so the studio was like, people are going to think this is a cop movie Mm. and the producers really fought them on it. They were like this. We we want it to stay. This is the whole point of the movie. So they won out eventually. Yeah. I can see that logic though from the studio though. I will say that I, I I can, I can see them be like, let's not call it this. Let's call it Mm -hmm. the setup, which is already, especially like it's like the same year that Serpico came out. It's like, yeah, Yeah. this, this thing is like an under, it's going to be a gritty undercover New York cop movie. Yeah. It's going to start Elliot Gould probably or something. (laughs) Um, you did. You called out the the Universal backlot. The 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 diner is the one. Streets that of Fire. Is, oh, I, maybe. Uh, maybe. Back to the Future. Oh, it's, it's the diner from Back to the Future. Wow. Yep. 
I'm trying to think of how they shot that. Okay. Yeah, they said they shot it like from the exact opposite direction. They probably pulled That's a different a different okay, wall okay. of it, and they they shot it from like the back, whereas it's in Back to the Future. It's kind of shot from behind the counter, and and um, uh, like okay, that. I, I, that makes sense. That makes sense. I could see that. Okay. The rigged roulette wheel uh, from the beginning when Hooker goes out, it lands on twenty two black, which is a reference to Casablanca. 22 black is the is the rigged space uh on where, the wheel yeah. at, at rick's where he, tell, where he, tell, uh, all, he tells a couple the hungarian couple yeah, yeah yeah that's also referenced again in uh in the movie in lost in america and in uh empire records 22 black is what he loses all of the money on so we ever do a gambling movie thomas we gotta make sure yeah, we do put 22 black 22 black works every time the, the Sting was a huge hit at the Irish box office, I'm sure, in part because of Robert <laughs> Shaw's role. But it famously played continuously for over a year. And there's even some records of people traveling from England to Ireland. You'd take like a weekend trip to go see The Sting because it had stopped playing in England. Wow. But it was still going in Ireland. This really was. This was a huge like pop culture movie. <laughs> yeah. In fact, the release of this movie made George Roy Hill the first director to ever have two films each gross over $100 million at the box office. So this and Butch Cassidy? Yep. Wow. That's insane. I guess it was, would next be Spielberg? Would that be? Oh, the, yeah. I'm, I'm probably, sure. Probably the next one because Lucas doesn't mm-hmm. direct Empire. And I don't know if American Graffiti makes that much money is yeah. the thing. Yeah, I don't, I don't feel like it would have. You never know. Let me see. Let me see. It's so it's one. It's one or the other. Mm-hmm. Graffiti did. Graffiti did. So I, it'd be Lucas and or Spielberg are probably the next ones up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. George Roy Hill is just like Spielberg and, and Lucas in terms of <laughs> in terms of pop culture. But it, it is kind of it is crazy thing. This this being such a pop culture film at the time. I don't know if it's fully carried over as much. I think Butch Cassidy is carried over more. Mm-hmm. than the sting has and, and that might be due to sundance film festival in a weird way because of him being called the sundance kid all that um there, there's something kind of to that maybe that as to the lore of it but this one that hasn't carried mm-hmm. over as much even that something was just as successful if not bigger yeah um so uh we, we talked about onset pranks in uh oceans 12 oceans 12 uh, and there were pr- plenty of pranks reported on this set as well. Newman and Redford were fans of stealing and hiding each other's cars. Um, <laughs> it perhaps got a little bit out of hand when Newman and Hill went out for drinks and Newman picked up the bill. He later jokingly sent Hill an invoice for $8 for his share of the drinks. Hill responded with a lengthy letter on the nature of friendship and how Newman was rude to ask him for his money back. Newman responded by breaking into Hill's office and cutting his desk in half with a chainsaw. <laughs> Leaving a note that said, next time I'll detonate the whole office. At the at rap, Newman was handed an $800 bill from Universal for the desk, which he proudly never paid. <laughs> That's fun. All right, moving into awards. Got the Beatrice Strait Award for the actor or actress with limited scenes who kills it. Um, you mentioned him earlier. Well, I, I wonder. I, I think the guy I think of here doesn't have a lot of big stuff, but you talked about he has a nice little arc. Is Jack Keogh was eerie, eerie kid. Mm-hmm. 
I think he's I think he's really good. Um, I don't I don't think Durning would count here. Yeah, yeah, I think he's probably supporting. Um, yeah, I'd say like oh, Robert oh, Earl Jones or, or Robert yeah. Earl Jones. I you could I could I could go with Robert Earl Jones. And he has a good yeah. I like his scene with I like the scene where he's kind of telling Redford like I'm out. Basically, I'm out of this. Like mm-hmm. I, I'm gonna go down to this place with my buddy and uh um. Where is he going to? Where he's going? Basically, he's going to like start this like shop or whatever, and do that instead. It'll be mostly legal, is what he said. I could go with Robert L. Jones here. Yeah, and I mean, he's it's kind of he's got to be the heart of the movie. You I know, agree. he's got to yeah. sell. You have to like the yeah, yeah. criminal with the heart of gold yeah. that's going to motivate all these people to come together in his in his memory. I agree. That's a fair point. That's a fair point. Let's go, Robert Earl Jones here. I agree with that. Okay. Yeah. What are you spraying men around like that for? You could have been Neil. Uh, I checked the place first. There weren't no dicks in there. But you're a con man, and you blew it like a pimp. You should be no pimp. Hey, what the hell's eating you? I've blown money before. No class grifter would have done it. That's all. You think my play is bad? I think you're the best. I wouldn't be getting out otherwise. What the hell are you talking about? I'm getting too old for this racket. You hang on too long and you start embarrassing yourself. We just took off today and the biggest score we've ever had. It's nothing compared to what you could be making on the big con. All right. Uh, the Annie Potts X Factor Award for the supporting actor or actress that is the most memorable. Does Shaw count here? I think it. I think, I think it's Shaw. I, I would go Robert Shaw. I just hands down. I yeah. think he's great. I, Doyle Lonigan. Doyle Lonigan. The name's Lonigan. Doyle Lonigan. <laughs> um... And when he find and when he cheats and still loses, he's like, "How can I say that I cheated? He just cheats better than me, or whatever he says in the mm-hmm. train." Um, no, Shaw is really great here. Like he, 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 it's a fun watch with him. He's, I, I remember when I when my dad showed me this, him being like, "Hey, that's the guy from from Jaws," and I just like my eight year old brain like could not comprehend it. I was just like, "That's what? not that can't be the same person." <laughs> that's not Quint. <laughs> you want to keep after him? You see that fellow in the red sweater over there? His name's Danny McCoy. Works a few of the protection rackets for Canaro when he's waiting for something better to happen. Danny and I have known each other since we were six. Take a good look at that fist, Floyd. Because if he ever finds out I can be beat by one lousy grifter, I'll have to kill him and every other hood who wants to muscle in on my Chicago operation. Follow? Yes, sir. Good lad. All right. This one's this one's an interesting one. The Gene Hackman MVP award for the person who carries this movie. This might be the toughest of the month, honestly. Um, because we've been doing a lot of with David and me, we've been doing a lot of duo awards because it's like Tatum and Ryan O'Neill, Steve Martin mm. and John Cleese. But this is one where I feel like Reverend Newman are great, but I you could argue George Roy Hill here. You could I think you could argue David S. Ward here, honestly, as well. Um I for me, I would go George Roy Hill. That's me. Yeah, I I, I think so. I think this is him coming through. I, I would say if we were doing Butch Cassidy probably give it to William Goldman to be yes, honest. Yes. Um, yes. I think that comes through as a William Goldman movie more than it does a George Roy Hill movie, but I think I this agree. is the one especially 
kind of learning about him putting the team together, him picking yeah. the visuals, him picking the Scott Joplin. Mm-hmm. Like, I think this this one, he's he came away with much more of his stamp on it. Um, I agree. And, and even him being the one to kind of be like, I think Paul Newman could do this despite everyone being like, this is not a Paul Newman role, you know? Yeah. Well, and, and, and a lot of his movies have like a throwback feel to them. Mm-hmm. Like, I think of The Sting. I think of even like Funny Farm. Like, mm-hmm. um, uh, World According to Garp I had on a little bit last night. And that's has a very similar like throwback feel. And I think that's more present here than Sam Butch Cassidy. Mm-hmm. I think I interrupted yeah. you. What we're gonna say? We're gonna, I think we're gonna say something that I interrupted. No, no, no. I think that's. I think. I think that's the call on this one. Yeah, I'd give it to him. Man, I'm looking at his like his like stats of like Oscar nominations. Dear Lord, like <laughs> he, he had a movie called Hawaii was nominated for seven Oscars. Thurley Meyer Millie nominated for seven Oscars. Butch Cassidy seven Oscars. The Sting ten Oscars. That's wild. He really was a top director in his time. I need to watch more of his stuff. Why didn't you tell me about Snyder before? I thought I'd lost it. Well, you found him again, and we're going to have to do something about it. What else haven't you been telling me? Nothing. That's all there is. Why'd you move out of your room? It was too noisy. You can't play your friends like Mark's hooker. You know how easy it would be for one of Lonigan's guys to get you? Henry, all we need is a couple of days and we can get the son of a bitch and nail him. <sighs> Just won't learn, will you? I just come in here, I teach you stuff that maybe five guys in the whole world know. Stuff that most grifters couldn't do even if they knew it. And all you want to do is run down a bullet. I'm asking a couple of days, that's all. Now I can stay clear that long. Christ, they'll probably miss you and hit me. Uh, okay, some final questions. Okay, you're doing you're doing a modern remake. So it takes place nowadays. It takes place nowadays is what we're saying. Um, no, I think I think you could still put it in the past. I would just say we're we're doing it today. Okay, okay. Who do you want first? Uh, I, I have the top three. Basically. Top three. Let's let's do Lonigan first. Yeah, I only have one guy for Lonigan. Hmm. That's Brennan Gleason. Oh. Okay. You need Brennan, like Brennan Gleason, or you could do Colin Farrell, but I mm. think Brennan Gleason might be more with like the limp, like I think a Mad Eye Moody, the limp going in and like being that guy who likes playing cards a little bit older. Mm-hmm. I think I think that would work there. I like that. Okay, all right. Uh, let's get let's get Gondorf. Okay, Gondorf. Okay, I have one that's more of a character person and one that's more of a lead person, lead actor. The character okay. actor, Mark Rylance. Mm, I'm, I'm mm-hmm. trying to go different with the ages here. I'm trying to go the opposite. You're, you're trying to work the ages out I'm trying to work the ages more. out a little bit more. Uh, Rylance, the lead is Robert Downey Jr. Oh. Yeah. I didn't, okay. I didn't go Clooney or anyone like that. I, I wanted, or, or Brett Pitt. I wanted to go away from that. I like I like Robert Downey Jr. I also like the idea of letting Robert Downey Jr. play his age a little bit more because I feel like with yes. Tony Stark they like yes were not you know they were always trying to kind of age him down. I mean uh, I- Iron Man only takes place in a ten day span like all the movies <laughs> it's just he's, he's the same age the entire time. Um yeah I think he could play his age a little bit more. It's it seems to be doing that in Oppenheimer so yeah, yeah. um I I like I like Downey Jr. I okay. like that um, okay. So with that in mind, who you got for Hooker? Okay. Tom Holland. I didn't put Tom Holland down. <laughs> I wasn't going to put Tom Holland down. 
Um, I'm gonna Poor go... kid. He needs he needs to catch a, a non Marvel break. I yeah, got to be honest, but he he would be decent. I actually put down. I have a lot of different names, but I'll, my top my top choice kind of right now is Joe Kiri. Hmm. Okay. I think Joe Kiri like would that. be really good for hit this. Um, if you wanted to go, like I had Austin Butler down. I don't know. I don't know yet with him there. I think he might be a little too old if that makes sense he, he's like he he's 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 very mature is what i'm saying mm-hmm. not saying yeah. kiri isn't but i've seen kiri play down and age a little bit better yeah <laughs> stranger things season four yeah all of yeah um and so yeah and so i had i had him so butler's there if you want to go like really young i put down cooper hoffman mm. it'd be very different i think that take. might play too young, too young. I, th- I agree might i agree be like, why is this kid out on the streets um, <laughs> I also put uh I'm, I'm I might butcher his last name Mike Feist from West Side yeah, Story. Yeah, yeah. Um, if you Very want hot right now, yeah. If you wanted to, yeah, I've, I've I've seen the the trailer. Um, if you want to go and 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 gender swap it and have and have an actress in it, I put down Jodie Comer or Maya Hawk to go with the Joe Keery. Ooh, yeah, Robert Downey Jr. Maya Hawk. I, I, I watch might watch sure. wait with Brendan Gleeson as as your villain. Mm-hmm. Okay. I really, I, I really, I, I mean, I already, I already really liked my Hawk, but I, I really loved her in Asteroid City. She was really fun. Yeah. Um, so, okay. I like that. Let's do that oh, one. So, okay. So Down, Downey is as Gondorf, Maya Hawk as as Hooker, and Brendan Gleeson as as Lonergan. Hell yeah! That's, That'll be interesting. Uh, uh, it's a fun. It's a fun. It's a fun little trio. Fun little trio. Mm-hmm uh yeah so does this fit into any other genres other than a than a con movie i mean this is pretty in the con this world is the, the, the this, con is the, movie. this is kind of the con movie and i really don't see it going anywhere else else yeah i don't i don't think i think people might mistakenly say it's like a buddy movie but it's not like they're they they don't get that tight like they become they don't, like they don't working you know mentor a kind of mentor relationship but it is nowhere near butch cassidy i think people because of butch cassidy and because they're also in this one yeah somebody might say like oh yeah it's a buddy movie too but it's really not the same energy as butch cassidy they kind of uh, start off together and then they kind of separate and occasionally it's just like how you doing kid you're like yeah. i'm good you sure yeah uh, don't screw me over kid yeah um, yeah yeah, they don't become yeah, buddies yeah, yeah. till the very end of the movie is the thing. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So yeah. Yeah. No, I think it is just it is the con movie. It is the blueprint. Yeah. Uh, so how does this? I, I just answer my own question. Uh, yeah. How does this fit in within the con genre? I mean, use the also we're talking about use this perspective of of and the, at the end we're kind of from the perspective of 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 Durning weirdly enough, um and and uh, and Shaw um so that's there it has this more lightheartedness to it or, or caper feel to it um it, it is very it, and again a lot of these movies too harken back to a different time and this one does that incredibly well and again it's, it's kind of mm-hmm. the template for it um this and paper moon is the same year um but it really kind of showcases like just the combat uh, just just how it can take all those things together is the thing yeah. that, that lightness with the crime element to it and especially coming in a time when in the period where like there weren't that many lighthearted capers or whatever and in the 70s Mm -hmm. so yeah anything else you want to add 
no i agree i think it it kind of laid out all that stuff we've been talking about this month yeah it's like leading up to this one it's like you know it's 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 fun it's you got to have that little like twist this is really the one that introduced that idea of like you got to have that little twist of you gotta you gotta con the audience a little bit too and um yeah i think it also kind of adds in this idea of like start you know it's it's obviously like newman and and redford are the are the draws but it it does bring in this idea of it kind of being an ensemble and and that that the the cast that you assemble is just as important as as the the team of con men within the movie that will eventually give us oceans 11 yeah i agree so that leads us to final genre questions real quick uh first off are there any films that we haven't mentioned this month that you want to want to shout out here Ooh, uh, definitely because we when we were going over to like pick what we were going to cover this month i was i was like it was difficult oh, man there's there's so many things we could do here um I'll start really quickly first. I, mm-hmm. I speaking of Newman, I, I would have loved to have done either the Hustler, um, mm-hmm. or the Color of Money. We talked about the Color of Money in our sequel episode way back in the day, but I am I'm a write I wrote about it for the the newsletter, um, or hopefully has already come out. But yeah, the Hustler and Color of Money are just two. It's kind of like a subgenre of the con artist movie of mm-hmm. like hustling Hustler is the movie, thing. Yeah. Um, and those are two I, I, I would have loved to have covered in some way. And again, cover money. We talk, I talk about in the newsletter. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, I think you, you, you know, there's a couple that we covered uh, that we've covered at other times that, yeah. that I think would be great to do. Now we obviously did the producers for our, our Mel Brooks, uh, month. Mm-hmm. We did nightmare alley for our Guillermo del Toro month, but I think they both fit in really well here. Yeah. Um, I, have been meaning to go back to brothers bloom i didn't love brothers bloom when I didn't, it came I, I out, didn't but um but as i've kind of grown to you know really appreciate ryan johnson it does feel like one that i i need to to revisit and see um i agree see how i feel about it upon a revisit but i was the same way so i i agree with you on that um obviously all all the oceans movies we covered 12 but but i love i love all of them and um, yeah i I really think 11 stands out as such a weird hollywood indie hybrid thing it's it is it is really one of the most unique kind of studio films of the modern era i think Uh, no i i agree completely and and it's one i think we're going to cover at some point in this in this show's (laughs) history i just don't know when um but yeah, House of Games also shout House of Games. One like I mentioned at one point by David Mamet, or probably David Mamet's best movie that he directed, if I had to guess. Um, it, it's 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 up there. I haven't seen Homicide. That's another big one that everyone talks about. But House of Games is really great. Um, and last thing, what'd you learn from this month, Thomas? Uh, you know, I, I really honestly, at the end of the month, looking back at just the, how much everyone has taken from the sting, you know, I don't I yeah. wouldn't necessarily think of it as kind of the con movie, but, but yeah, it definitely seems looking back now that it, it really kind of laid out the, uh, the groundwork, the yeah. groundwork for everything else. Yeah, I, I agree. And again, I talking about too, how these movies kind of had this throwback quality to them, which I wasn't expecting. Uh, and it just kind of does with all the ones we've covered, even a fish called Wanda kind of has that, um, as well. There, there's just something there about that perspective being a big key. I kind of always know that going in, but it's, it's, it's kind of been reinforced or enforced uh, in this month. 
Uh, but yeah, the throwback nature to it was was somewhat surprising. How all a lot of them are in different time periods, or they're referencing different time periods to make the kind of tone work. So that's been that's been kind of fun to see. But that is it on our con artist series uh, for the main show. We're doing our Patreon, our last Patreon episode. I think will come out after this episode on Matchstick Men. David and I are talking about Matchstick Men, so be sure to tune in for that. We covered fish called Wanda Thompson on Patreon. If you haven't joined our Patreon, be sure to do do so. Thank you to everyone who's been doing that. $1, $5, $10 levels for more exclusive content. Do that if you can. We really appreciate it. But next month, Thomas, it feels like something a little different. We're not doing a <laughs> genre per se, and we're not doing a director. Um, we, we we did really well with Little Shop of Horrors on our Patreon, at least for the on social media, and we kind of started talking about like musicals again, and we like you and I love doing musicals. Um, mm-hmm. and you pitched doing Alan Menken as a series. Mm-hmm. And that's what we're gonna be doing next month. So it's gonna be a lot of kind of Disney stuff. So stay tuned for that. We're not really a Disney podcast, but for next month we we're gonna be. It. We're, we for do it for we're, gonna, month. we're gonna be. Um, yeah. And it's that kind of period of Disney stuff that we like. But also, there's some interesting kind of the history of all that that we like talking about. There'll be an interesting discussion. A lot, a lot of great behind the scenes stuff I know with all these movies. So, and it's been a lot of research because the movies have been so big. Um, so we'll be doing that next month on the Sination Podcast. But that's all we have for you in this episode. If you have any questions for us, feel free to contact the Sination Podcast at gmail.com. Send us your questions, comments. And if you're a new listener of the show or a fan of the show, and for some reason you haven't subscribed to us, be sure to do so to stay up to date on all of our new episodes. You can subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever your podcast. And if you haven't already, be sure to write us a review on preferred podcast platform. You'll have I, I, I got nothing for this one. There's not. There's not a lot of famous quotes from the Sting. You know, as no, as, uh, as as good as it is, there, there's not really like a line I could I could bring up. So um, yeah, you know. we might seem like a new podcast, but we've been around for a while, kind of like Robert Redford. <laughs> hey, yeah, there you go. Some of us. So if you just found us recently because of some videos, you know, we've been around for a bit. Go back and look at the, all the other episodes we have. We have a, we have hundreds of them, which is wild to say. But yes, and finally, don't forget to like and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, and TikTok. Thomas, as always, thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me. And thank you all for listening. We hope you listen to more episodes soon. Bye. Bye.